0: guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city.
1: That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.
0: So I'm back in studio this week, I was away last week, we recorded episode and it will be the same next week. Next week's guest is really good, by the way. But so is today's guest, Bear with this conversation, we talk a lot about what Tech Revel is, uh, but then we go into the type of business they are and what they want to be. Really impressive co-founder. I really like the story of uh, moving from Pakistan to the US, uh, building a really successful business over there, and then how they did market entry here in the last couple of years. Uh, You may know them, they're just new in the market, but we're talking about the services industry, digital transformation and uh again how to do kind of market entry and how to kind of disrupt an industry in a way so enjoy the conversation Welcome back to another episode of the Works Business Podcast. This week, I'm back in the studio, and we're joined by another uh, founder and a uh, co-founder and CMO uh, guest on the show today. He is Abir Raza uh, of Tech Revel, and he will explain all what Tech Revel is. Uh, but basically, they're a digital solutions provider. Uh, they initiated with the aim to provide tech enthusiastic enthusiasts with a platform to create innovative and meaningful digital solutions that create an impact so we're going to hear the history of the company the solutions they provide the the breadth and the length and breadth of the offering that they have and how they're moving into the future uh the competition the industry and uh yeah and also their their plans and expansion and the presence that they are around the world good morning,
1: morning. how are Thank you, you for having me yeah.
0: so thanks for coming in Thanks for having me. So, yeah. So, co-founder and CMO of TechRevel, uh, what is your role and what is the company? Uh,
1: I guess my role is pretty much everything that happens under the sun in the company. So, yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, I mean, um, when you're the co-founder, you kind of have to do pretty much everything, especially when you start from scratch. So, you know, I've I've wiped the floors one time (laughs) and, uh, you know, played HR, played admin, played pretty much every department until I found what works for me best, which is marketing. Um, So, yeah, I kind of happened into the career, not really, uh, you know, I mean, now it's more like a serial entrepreneur, let's say my LinkedIn profile says that, but. It wasn't always like this and uh, I guess uh, the way we came up was more from a need perspective like we saw the need in the industry which was uh, pretty saturated even at that time like mobile applications and technology solutions has been around for the past uh, 50 years or so so it wasn't really a new you know idea or a new approach Um, but one of the needs that we saw was being client-centric like Mm. Um, understanding what the needs of the clients are and what exactly is it that they're looking for, which they sometimes don't even know. So for us, when we got started, um, you know, I was working at a consulting firm. So, you know, a lot of talking, not a lot of doing. And um, I realized early on that uh, the focus there was to drive revenue for the company and not really care about what the clients want or need. So, and, you know, having worked in, you know, different startups in tech, I, I kind of realized that was like a generic sort of way that they approach things. So we The found consultancy
0: r- firms or the tech startups?
1: Uh, the yeah. The consultancy firms. Con, not So that was my first consulting experience, but before that was more technology services companies. Mm. So I kind of realized that um, you know sticking around in that space would not really fulfill what we wanted to do. Um, hence the name Tech Rebel, Technology Revolution. Mm. So you know, I guess as I said, like it was more of a need that we saw that you know if what if we were to build a company around um, you know the clients, build a company around providing a service that provided value for the clients and, and partnering with them what could we create? And I think five years down the road, we're a 10 million dollar company and expanding pretty drastically, so.
0: Amazing, so five years down, so uh, 10 million in services, so 2021 revenue, 10 million in revenue services from the, the solutions that you provide for your clients. Yeah, exactly. It's quite impressive. Uh, and your background before that, st- uh, when did you come to Dubai? What did you study in a, and uh, at what stage were you when you set up this business?
1: Um, I did my MBA in marketing, um, and, uh, I mean, I could have just, you know, stayed home for four years and it wouldn't have mattered anyways, cause honestly, an MBA doesn't really teach you much. Um, but you know, in essence, um, I guess in terms of the background, like, uh, I've, as I said, like I've been involved in tech companies from before, um, you know, quite a few tech companies. And um, I guess that's what taught me on how to deliver performance-driven solutions, and uh, you know how to essentially express value to clients and sort of productize different services. Um, but in essence, I think uh, my real experience came from you know working with clients in the U.S. onshore and directly sort of engaging with them and understanding their core problems. So, you know, hence uh, the revolution aspect or technology transformation as a whole, um, where you have to really embed yourself as more like an analyst when you're studying their their industry, starting their framework, uh, and really understand exactly what their core problem is and how can you solve it with technology. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, and honestly, like, you know, people talk about technology and how it's taking jobs and stuff, but you have to realize that there is a huge human element to this. Um, and it's, at its core, you know, even technology is human focused, human centric. So mm. that's what we try to drive with the uh, tech rebel. And, uh, that's kind of been my experience so far as well, that, um, if, if you can just connect with the human component within a business, there's a lot that you can achieve. Okay. So wh- where was the first office was it in Dubai? Um, no, we set up our first office in Newark, um, California. And, um, uh, because obviously it's Silicon Valley tech hub and all that stuff. So, um, but we expanded pretty soon into Houston and then New York and, and uh, you know, a couple other places. In fact, um, we had just recently started up our Ukrainian office, which we had to kind of roll back a little bit, um, but- But has it been an office to serve the Ukrainian market or to serve your other offices? Uh, more of a production house for us. Yeah. Um, not really serving the Ukraine market. We thought about it initially, but it was too late. The war started like a few months later, so. Um, we had to roll it back but it's it's interesting how I mean my perception of Ukraine changed completely when I went to Kiev and I saw how um you know mobile payments was was just like uh, insane there like you know and even I, I would even compare it to us like it's not as much proliferated as it is in Kiev um and uh, it's it's a super budding entrepreneurial hotbed yeah and the same in Dubai like you know uh, it, We, we, there's so many digital touch points for a a new normal consumer that I would say that 80% of their life revolves around technology, even Mm. if they don't notice it, Mm. like, you know, Uber, Uber Eats, or any of the other technology sectors like banking. So even like, you know, how um, the Metro works here, like, you know, um, who would have imagined 10 years ago or 15 years ago, having the. Um, you know, I mean, you can use your NOL card With your taxis, with everything So integrated mm. So, yeah, it's interesting
0: And when did you open the Dubai office?
1: Uh, it's been a year um, We're going to be running up to a second year in Feb
0: Okay, so Feb 2021
1: And why Dubai? So we started by exhibiting in um Last year in October And that was a very interesting Oh, you just trip.
0: started in Feb this year? No, uh
1: feb of last year 2021 yeah, feb, yeah.
0: yeah. As I, so we, okay and then the, the year before you were at jitex
1: yeah in october uh last year we were okay. at jitex ex- as an exhibitor um and um to see kind of uh and and even before um exhibiting there we had uh come in as uh, you know just as guests before to kind of see how uh the dubai landscape was evolving and it was right in front of us like for the past couple of years we've been noticing how Dubai is taking into tech uh, as, you know, fish takes into water. It's like, you know, it, it was made for it. Like, yeah. it's a thriving city with very futuristic, um, you know, approaches. And the way, you know, everything is evolving using technology as a vehicle, it's, it's I would say it's the next Silicon Valley, honestly. So it, it was nonsensical for us to not do something here, honestly. So that's what brought us here.
0: Okay. And uh, the Pakistan part of it, do you have an office there? Do you have...
1: Yeah, we have 200 Developers. people in Pakistan, okay, and um, we have several offices there. Um, we're actually setting up an office. We have our uh, main office in Karachi, but we're setting up another one in Lahore, and uh, then there's Kiev. Then we're setting up an office in Turkey. Uh, we have a few offices in the US, so uh, you know it's a pretty diverse team. So, the
0: so the main business from say 2017 was serving clients in the US doing a lot of the development work in Pakistan, because you know Pakistan, you know the region, you were aware of Dubai and it made sense to have the office here and it kind of evolved that way.
1: Yeah. So initially the idea was to make Dubai a beachhead for most of our clients, even in the US or Saudi and other places. But then when we started getting around and we started to kind of feel out, you know, what the market has to offer, um, our focus has shifted now. So we're hiring about 20 people here Uh, Hopefully this year, Um, we've already taken up an office space, a pretty large one um, in uh, DMCC. So um, now the focus is to kind of make this more of a hybrid between a production place as well as a client facing company. Um, because we're seeing a lot of business come in and again, um, you know, just the, just the landscape itself. So we're now thinking, uh, more in terms of how we can make it, uh, into an incubator slash accelerator, similar to like Y Combinator. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's, uh, uh, we launched, uh, Rebel Ventures last month, um, just from that focus perspective. And, uh, what we want to do is kind of, uh, have a collaboration between investors in the U.S. and, uh, you know, seed capitalists in the U.S. And uh, bring up talent and and uh, startups here in Dubai, and then kind of take them in the US or essentially launch them here as well. And there's so many examples that you can see around you where products came up in just the last couple of years, and they've uh, you know Kareem and and so many others. Hmm. So it's it's a pretty uh, you know fast so you, paced market. You're yeah. very
0: much involved in the startup space as well. But just going back to the makeup of the current services and offering of of the total revenue. At, at the moment, what's the split? Uh, what what's the bulk of your commercial offering?
1: So I think um, overall, if you look at it, um, you know, with how uh, I guess you could say the, the you know um, in terms of like uh, the decline in terms of uh, company, econ- I mean, uh, country economies overall uh with the uh, you know the whole world facing uh, sort of a meltdown in terms of finances um we're seeing a lot of demand for staff augmentation surprisingly like our uh, businesses is booming augmentation
0: that- or automation Sorry.
1: no augmentation so okay. so for example let's say you're a large organization uh, who has, um, you know, h- trouble hiring developers, especially in this very hyper competitive market, like, you know, developers can get jobs like in days now. Right. Mm. So and and there's uh, like during COVID, there's this, you know, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur kind of thing. So, you know it's it's left a lot of offices empty. So we're seeing a lot of demand from large organizations that want to create incubation teams where they can run product iterations fast. Interesting. So it's all, uh, you know, focused on hyper growth and hyper, uh, you know, testing and sort of uh, getting out there. So um, an Agile framework mixed a little bit with, uh, you know, uh, lean startup methodology we're seeing a lot of that so we've got multi-billion dollar clients coming to us and saying hey we want a team of 10 developers and we want them to you know have be a hybrid between working from our office as well as working offshore Mm. and then what we want to do is we have a list of these products that we want to roll out test out in the market and then uh, whichever works then we do a full-scale version Uh, or not we scrap it and move on so we're seeing a lot of that where companies are, you know, taking um, outside teams and then kind of embedding them into their structure, all the while making sure that their internal bureaucracies don't get involved. So, yeah.
0: Okay, interesting. So it's not the typical sort of uh, services agency model. It's more it's more like uh, if, a, if a company has a tech solution that they need, they can come with consultancy, they can come with you with it with an idea but essentially you're going to help them build that as if they're outsourcing it.
1: Yeah internally so we would work with CTOs in the company we would mm. work with CFOs we work with CEOs uh, to kind of understand uh, what their direction is and where they want to head. Um, again so you know my Uh, focus in terms of like, uh, you know, making a technology transformation company has always been to understand the core value that you're trying to drive for the business. So let's say Augustus Media, you know, likes to wants to kind of pursue a supremacy in this in the broadcasting space and its competitors are Mashable, TechCrunch or all the others. So we wanna come in and see what are the processes that we can automate so that you can get there faster. We wanna see how can we uh, you know, mass market by using uh, more channels than you currently have. We wanna see how we can scale the ones or tweak the ones that you currently have and then give you a plan um, that is tailored to your needs so it's not a cookie cutter solution we're not gonna and we're not like normal consultancy firm that we come in with like bill ballars like charge you thousands of dollars just to understand the problem no that's that's all something that we want to achieve ourselves because as as you mentioned in the introduction as well we're technology enthusiasts like Mm. we we really love what we do and because Mm. we love what what we do we can wave off a lot of charges because you know understanding a certain industry is a reward in its own self because you can take that knowledge and, and be a technology leader in that space.
0: Mm, yeah, it makes sense. And from the sectors, uh, I assume that you're sector agnostic, but what would take up, uh, most of your, uh, work at the moment? Is it startup space or is it uh, you know, as a particular area? Is it government? Is it FMCG? Is it like what, what's this kind of sector breakdown?
1: Yeah, so we're we're kind of changing um, the way we're doing business right now, as I mentioned, the uh, ventures part of it. Mm. Um, and the reason being because um, before, like I think back in 2020, um, it used to be 80-20, like in terms of startups, uh, you know, making up 80% of our uh, revenue base and um, enterprise companies making up 20%. Okay. Uh, and we're pivoting more towards a 80-20, except we're flipping it. Where 80% makes up enterprise clients because most of, majorly because we've got some big names that we worked with and a lot of PR that has actually driven us in front of, um, you know, C level executives in, in large organizations. So we're seeing a lot more of that. And obviously, like, as I mentioned, the trend of the world, like shifting and, and companies really demanding the service. Like we have to literally turn away projects now. So. Um, now, the focus is that the revenue that we get from startups, which is, uh, you know, projected to be 20%, uh, needs to shift more from a revenue perspective to an equity perspective, where we want to bring in startups and not charge them anything and essentially take sweat equity and then, you know, take their product and see what how we can scale it with them and then get investors from abroad and, and you, know, s- you know, sort of keep going and see mm-hmm. series A, series B, series C. Um, I think that's a more sustainable approach overall. It's a different business model, though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think that's where the long-term growth is, like um, because you know we we meet a lot of entrepreneurs and we see a lot of potential in their ideas, but they seem to always you know uh, end up doing the wrong things eventually. But they don't and
0: execute well because they don't yeah. have the say the tech development experience that you might have.
1: It, I, th- I think it goes a little bit beyond the tech development experience. It's, it's more so about, so again, maybe I'm coming from a marketing standpoint, because I'm a yeah. CMO, but um, understanding your customer's need is critical. Like Technology is just a platform, you know, what are, what is what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Most of the times what we see is, uh, you know, on, entrepreneurs would get a little bit creative with their ideas and, and sort of start to solve everybody's problem and not really focusing on their core customer. Hmm. So what happens is you have a bloatware, you know, that you're putting out in, in, in the space and, and it's trying to compete with everybody and trying to take on everybody without any marketing budget, without any sort of buyer persona or any sort of research done behind it and then eventually it fails because it didn't really click so we're starting to see more and more that an mvp based approach is a better idea and then essentially whenever you get to a point where you need to scale you need investors Mm. you need help you need networking you need pr But
0: but do you think that you know the incubator sort of uh model and the startup the y-, y combinator that that's a model right and sometimes when people are doing a service industry like your business you're probably at 15 20 operating margin and you're kind of going well if we if we own some of these companies that are successful the upside could be far greater however uh w- the thing that you're good at is the thing that's made you this revenue so far and then if you spray around, uh, if you own lots of pieces of lots of companies and none of them are successful, you might not have what made you successful in the first place, which is the revenue that you're generating.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I think, um, so, I mean, I, I'll give a little bit of a history lesson um, on my part. I'm sorry about that. Um, but when I started off, uh, with Revel, as I mentioned, I was working in a consulting firm. Um, I was, I mean, a decent pay, like I was making about $5,000 at that time, like 26, 25 working in the U S um, having graduated from Pakistan, never left Pakistan the first time, uh, leaving to the U S and working there, uh, for a, a, fortune 500 company, it was a pretty cool thing, nice. a dream job. Um, and then when I, when I got there, I realized that everything that I really wanted to do, I would just not be able to accomplish it because it was somebody else's leadership. It was somebody else's ideas and being stuck in a rat race where I had to do what I had to do was just not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So I left that job and I started the company and... The only thing that I had at that time, um, was a thousand dollars that I'd saved up. And I invested that into the company and my partner did the same thing. So we started this with $2,000. So
0: there's just uh, two founders that, yes. so,
1: yeah, awesome races. He's our CTO and the co-founder as well. Um, so we started the company with $2,000 in the bank and, um, Getting to 10 million has been super difficult, yes, um, but honestly, not as much. So, the reason I'm telling this history is because we came from nothing mm. um, and we don't care if we have to end up there. Mm. You have to have that same. So, I had this conversation with a nice. really interesting gentleman. He owns a hundred million dollar company, um, part of YC, uh, YEC, Young Entrepreneurs Community, uh, that I'm also part of. So, uh, you know, his lesson to me was that if you're going after a whale, uh, you know, if you're trying to feed yourself with fish all the time, then that's fine. You always stay, you know, uh, full. But then if you're going after a whale, like Captain Ahab, right? You have to make yourself super hungry. Like you will eventually starve yourself. You'll have a very, very small crew that you'll go out in the seas with. And, you know, there's gonna be storm. There's gonna be a lot of things. Eventually, maybe, chance, you'll get it. Mm. Otherwise, you'll starve. But the point here is that if you fill up your boat with a bunch of people and, you know, you're always feeding yourself with small, small fish, you're never going to get the whale because you're full. Why would you need it? Mm. So the, my point here is that, um, you know, we want to be the next unicorn, a billion dollar valuation. We're not going to get there as a tech company offering services to clients. And unless you're Accenture, you know, been there for 200 years or something. Um, you so could though, there are marketing services listed on stock market,
0: uh, that have billion dollar valuations. WPP so used to have a $20 billion valuation. Like you could, if you're the best in the world, if you believe, if all these global companies that need that outsourcing thing, if you look at, and we'll talk about the industry, but it, it, it you know, people in the services industry don't, is that's not attractive to tech and it doesn't get the investment. But it can still be, it can still have high valuations. It so can there's, still be a business.
1: Yeah. So um, the companies you're referring to are, are a hybrid between a service and solution uh, model, as well as uh, a product as a service solution. So yes, you're right. There's, uh, uh, you know, there are companies that productize their services, automate some parts of it, and then essentially come out uh, getting a valuation on the product itself with the MRR that they calculate. Um, so yes, there is an approach that could get us there and maybe that could get us there in the next 20 years or something. We don't want to wait that long. We're kind of impatient. So the easier way to go about this is to find the next idea that clicks, mm. have a quite a few of them and then launch Fair them enough. in the market and connect, be the connector. Um, that's something that I've kind of noticed. Um, uh, so one of our clients used to be a private equity firm worth about a billion dollars, um, been there about 15 years, called Wealth, and- Sorry? ZT Welt. Um, it, it's, it's out in Houston. Um, and, and what was interesting about them is they had created a vehicle for investment for doctors. That was their niche. And they would invest, uh, that capital into like hospitals and different places and then give the returns back to the, uh, back to the doctors. What, it, what really caught my attention was that they had a team of about 20 or so people. And they were operating a company for about a billion dollars. So imagine the per, uh, you know, uh, you know, per employee income that they would, they were generating to kind of get to that point. But, um, what's interesting here and, and the comparison that I want to draw here is that. You, in order for you to scale up your revenue, you just have to work smarter, find the right fit, and find the right vehicle. There's a lot of capital out there that you can you know sort of pull in. If you can inspire people, if you can inspire investors to invest in startups that that are scaling that they see a product market fit in, they see that this can take a certain market cap. you can do a lot, but you know you you obviously have to be invested. If you go to an investor and and you're trying to gain investment for a you know, product that you don't own, there's always that risk factor for investors that, Hey, you're not invested in it. There's, there is no stake in the game for you. So why would you stick around? So we have, you know, put your money where your mouth is. So this mm. is the only route that I see. Yeah.
0: In- interesting. So, um, that, that sort of shift that's ongoing at the moment, uh, how's, how's that, uh, factoring into the offering that you have in Dubai? Is it, is the team that you have here and the team that you're building here geared more towards. The larger business model that you discussed.
1: Of course. Yeah. So we have uh, a partnerships uh, a manager that's coming in. Um, I think mid of August. Um, and, um, we have a, a CMO that we're taking on board. Um, she's, she was to be country head for HP. So, um, so well, your role would change. Yeah. Of course. So the idea here is that, uh, you know, what we want to. Yeah. Sorry. I kind of stress that. So, um, in order for us to kind of make it successful, I realized that I have to invest more time here mm-hmm. than the company that I uh, that I started with. So I, I wanna, I have to change my role. It's it's required at this stage. So uh, and and that's what I said. Like um, you know, we're all for getting to that space. So hence, we're conducting podcasts. We're conducting pitch sessions. We're conducting um, you know um, interviews with uh, influencers. Uh, let yourself. And um, we we definitely want to keep scaling that side of things. So one part of this is essentially an incubation model that we've sort of perfected on our side. We we not only have one company that we've scaled in the past five years, uh, in the past couple of years, we've scaled four other companies. Uh, Tech Revel is now um, an Inc 5000 winner, um, one of the fastest growing companies in the US. Um, and um, the other ones are soon to kind of follow suit for the next year, uh, we're hoping to submit them. So what we've realized, having incubated several other companies, is that um, it doesn't take genius to kind of get there. You just have to have that entrepreneurial spirit to keep trying and to keep pivoting. So we want to bring that into the mix here. And let me tell you once uh, another interesting part of Techrow. So um, because, you know, we were just people that kind of started up, um, you know, this company and, and didn't really have a lot of experience we realized that other people could do the same thing so all the partners that we have in other businesses they're people they're either employees or they're people that we've just kind of met friends and people like that colleagues uh that have kind of joined hands with us and started their own ventures. so they're ceos in their own sort of companies so what we've realized is that you know it, it you don't have to have a certain sort of uh you know uh, understanding of business you have you don't have to have a certain sense of Uh, experience. No, you don't need all that. All you need is that spirit of entrepreneurship where, you know, you're just going to keep pivoting and keep trying until it works. So what we want to do now is bring in more entrepreneurs from our company as well as outside, and then bring them more towards ourselves and, and, you know, sort of invest capital, invest uh, technology services, and then connect them with our network of, uh, you know, uh, investors as well as influencers and stuff. So Mm. that's something interesting so moving a little bit into the industry uh you
0: know if if someone from the outside is listening to this conversation they might try and uh put in make sense of where tech revel sits and they might think of say on one side they might think of oh i I got an app developed by a specialist company. Once they were a digital agency, they pitched for the business, they showed UX UI, they did project management, they delivered it or something like that. And then someone else might go, ah, I'm part of a big company and we needed a product built. So, um, well, not necessarily a big company because sometimes they have red tape on, on this, but we need a product built. So we went online. We went to Fiverr. We went to Upwork. There was a lot of salespeople there. There's a lot of people pushing ideas. It ended up being done in an office in uh, a low cost kind of, uh, uh, developing country around the world. And there, there are a lot of those companies. So is that how you would describe? industry that tech revel was sort of disrupting you've got your traditional uh sort of well-known digital agencies and then you've got this sort of development houses around the world that a lot of that a lot of people would get cheaper work done by uh and uh are do you lean on one side or the other or are you kind of in the middle
1: right so that's an interesting question, by the way, because uh, that's what I sort of thought about way uh, initially when we started the company, because um, when we started it, um, the, the model that would work generally is that you do PPC, you get leads, and then you convert them, and then you work on them, and that's it. Um, and then what my research told me way at the start was that on PPC, it's, it's mostly chop shops um that are kind of advertising themselves and because the google takes a large percentage of the revenue so they have to kind of uh, cut back costs and those costs are normally associated with bad production so you know most of the times you would see companies that would over uh, you know uh that would raise the expectation but under deliver uh, by a substantial margin so uh, in fact one of our clients just came us came to us in Dubai and they were like uh, you know Um, I've got a quote from a company that's doing it in one month. I was like, how about you come back to us in a month and see, let's see what happens. (laughs) So that happens a lot. Uh, And honestly, if that's the expectation that clients have, and I'm sorry, I'm sort of pivoting, but you know, sort of want to make sure that I uh, address this. Um, You have to uh, like product market fit with a product. You also have to have a customer fit with a company. So if a culture matches, if their understanding matches with yours, then it's a perfect marriage. If it doesn't, it's never going to work. And we've had those clients and and those products that have stretched for years and years and years where the clients don't even know what they want and it just keeps going and it's adding cost to us. Um, it's always better to say no at the start and, and let those people go. So the reason I say this is because when you're mass marketing, when you're just going out there on the digital platform and, and just, uh, you know, showing that you're the top app development company, which is I think everybody is a top app development company now. Um, but if you're doing that, then you're going to get a lot of clients that you can say no to because you've already incurred a lot of costs. You've already spent 20, 25,000 on Google, and then you have to make those margins and you have to make those things meet. So you can't say no to a client with us. Our approach is always to have physical presence, to have people, um, you know, onshore, project managers, business analysts, production leads, and all those other people that can actually bring value to the client and augment that digitally. So when we started off, um, you know, we started um, initially we started with a partner who was based in California and used to attend networking events and PR and you know, they would sort of feel out the client, understand exactly whether or not they'd be a good fit and then we would start the project. So that understanding really helped us get I think about 55 almost five star reviews on clutch one of the highest in the industry mm. that understanding got us um several fortune 100 companies to work with that understanding got us out of that rat race of you know um uh, just spending on google and trying to recoup the cost from so uh, even right now our cost on digital like completely is undershadowed by the cost that we spend on pr and other avenues so um we're not even competing with those companies that are chop shops because honestly, we don't want to. If we if you start doing that, if you yeah. start compromising on our quality of production, then it's 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 a slippery slope, then it's downhill from there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we understand that the big players are able to offer more value. And we're always trying to stretch ourselves and strive to deliver that value. And one of the good things is that. Um, you know, because of our offshore offices, we're able to keep the cost down. We're able to get exceptional team of developers. In fact, um, you know, we've we've taken up uh, we've signed MOUs with the top universities in Pakistan um, nice. to get candidates right there when they're when they're fresh and and you know not radicalized by you know other uh, companies and and hone them into the skills that that tech revolutionaries need. And mm. we are super focused on our culture. Uh, In fact, just uh, last month, we were part of a um, event that was held with uh, disabled children um, and in in an organization which we were part of. So it's the idea here is that, you know, in order for you to build culture, in order for you to build a sustainable culture, it has to have a purpose. Mm. And being a purpose-driven company gives you a lot of leverage in terms of pursuing your ideas. And, you know, having people being passion driven towards it. Mm-hmm. And when that pra- passion combines with technology, combines with social influence it does something beautiful. So just picking up on some, uh, that's really interesting answer and thanks for explaining I understand it. I'm um,
0: relating it to marketing. You know, you mentioned earlier that the MBA was sort of worthless for you, <laughs> which was, you know, some people listening might get triggered by that, but you know, not me, but I'm, I'm just picking up on the, the marketing aspect of it. So you studied marketing and what you've described there is quite a strategic view of, business development led by marketing, and it's quite impressive, right? And it obviously is core of one of the reasons why the company has been successful. Um, you know, why wh- many companies that you say compete with don't have a marketing team, they might have a business development team, but you have a marketing team, you describe that answer with a marketing view, yet you think the MBA was worthless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Um the reason for that is is very simple. Um the 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 time we're living in, everything is digital. And I mean, so digital that honestly the word digital can't even c- catch up with it anymore. Uh, it, it's crazy. Like, yeah. you know, uh, you, we've all seen Web 3.0, we've all seen uh, the rise and I guess Bit of a fall for crypto and other sort of ventures that are coming in and it's going to come back because at the end of the day that's the the route to go it's that is how it's going to be financial markets are going to transform and it's it's going to happen i'm a big believer on that and NFTs as an art form so it's like the syllabus that we have back in pakistan in in mbas is, is is so dated um and it's not just perhaps not even pakistan like you see all these universities there, people are being taught by 50, 60 year old people that, you know, um, I think if you try to explain them what an NFT is, they would pull their hair and just like call you mad. Um, so it's, it's, it's not really conducive to, um, you know, somebody who wants to think outside the box. Everything that you learn in an MBA is how to fit inside the box. They don't train entrepreneurs, they train employees that are going to give their lives to companies for 20 30 years and that's what the focus is unfortunately that's that's how it is it might not be the same here in Dubai because I've seen um, every person that I meet here uh, in Dubai uh, comes with like years of experience and like uh, a a sort of uh, um, a mixture of like old school and new school uh, blended together because they're seeing it happen in front of them and the kids are growing up um, they have their mobile phones and they're, they're kind of like engaged in technology. And, you know, um, I have a lot of friends that are like side trading on, on crypto and NFTs and things like that. So, uh, it, it's a lot more robust and it's a lot more vibrant, um, in, in, in Pakistan. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So the MBA degree taught me like consumer behavior and, you know, running media buying on, on the news and things like that. Come on. Like that's, that's so like, I mean, look at smashy TV. So like. Um, the way you guys are disrupting the industry, I'm sure you didn't learn that from an MBA. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to talk about education in that way. I think definitely people will relate to the syllabus not being relevant for startups and a conflict between an entrepreneur and the education system. I get that. But at the same point, there is that sort of uh exploration phase of a of a young minds figuring things out with discipline through education that ends up getting a well paid job in the US and founding a successful business maybe those maybe those things but definitely you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who don't go down the traditional uh Education route as well. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to get your views on it. So, um, talking a little bit about the region, you're in Dubai a couple of years. You, you originally, you grew up in Pakistan. What, what's your view of the Middle East as an emerging market? I think you mentioned digital and it, it does seem like this region is really ripe for digital. It seems to be, you know, uh, not just with other people looking at it from an investment opportunity, but the, the landscape and the makeup of the region seems to be really, uh, suited towards innovation and digital solutions. Is, are you optimistic and bullish about the region?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I think, um, the way Dubai has transformed, um, you know, as a rising force in, in the world, um, I think technology has a really, really big part to play in it. Um, you know, um, so, I mean, a little bit of an interesting, um, perspective. Houston, which is one of the, um, you know, top um, earners in terms of like uh, over, overall GDP in the U.S., mm. um, does not have a metro system, mm. does not have transportation system. Um, so it's public buses. So and everything and we have an office there. So it's it's hell. like if you're living in downtown, then, you know, that's all. I mean, you can you can survive if you're living outside, then there's like an hour, hour and a half long commute. Um, the reason I say that is because, because of technology and how embedded it has become in in the whole sinew of Dubai, it's you know everything is like half an hour away maximum, and we don't even think about it, but. It gives you, you know, so many unlock so much potential in the workforce that, you know, just getting to someplace, um, you know, really fast and not really caring about commute or all the other sort of factors that are hygiene issues. Like, you know, the mask those hard. You need something I learned from MBA. Um, so the, the basic necessities of people here are completely met. So they're already touching that. Uh, self-actualization phase where they're like, okay, what, how do I make my mark here? You know, how do I make, and, and Dubai, sort of like New York, if you, if you think about it, tests you. You know, really throws you down and tells you that, it, OK, you're nothing, you know, you might have achieved something big. And, and you know, when we came here, we had their perception, OK, we're really big in US and we're going to be really big here because, I mean, come on, like 55 reviews on Clutch and like in 5000 and so many other sort of experiences. Um, you know, uh, there is no reason why we can't make a big hair, but no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't the case. So we had to start from scratch. So. Dubai has that, you know, it, it really tests you and, and puts you at that place where, where you have to claw yourself out, claw your way out. And I've seen that with so many different people. And I, I keep sharing this uh, example with our Pakistan team that every person that I interview, I'm like, I so want to hire this guy because like he's brilliant. Like the the top of the top people from, you know, Africa, from uh Europe, from even US and Australia come here to work. So they're not just like, you know, um, like coming to New York because they want to settle down and have a family and have kids. They're coming here to excel. That's all they want to do. So imagine having that sort of, uh, draining that brain from all the different countries, bringing them here, giving them all the opportunities that they need to have to excel, making sure their hygiene issues are met, making sure that they have a clear focus towards the future. How is that? I mean, there's no possible way there's not going to succeed. So mm, Amazing, good answer. And I like how you related
0: it to the sort of cutthroat uh, approach or cutthroat view that people might have of New York because Dubai is like that. It's unforgiving in many ways, promises a lot, but you really do need to earn it here as well. And um it shows that, you, you know, it shows a character, a strength of yours that you've been able to do that here and not been, too egotistical and saying, hey, we're the big American guys or whatever. But but um, you know, so that's cool. We all get Dubai. Dubai's great. And but do you think that can spill over the UAE, the economy? Uh you, you obviously know Pakistan well, but you know, not not talking about sort of politics or, or other, but just in terms of the region and uh, the opportunity for other countries in the region to uh to grow in the same way
1: as, as the UAE. I think it's become definitely become an example for a lot of different countries. We, we've all seen how uh you know uh, like Saudi is kind of taking that same direction in terms of pivoting away from oil and and getting more sustainable. Uh, we're seeing the same thing happen in Qatar, we're seeing the same thing happen uh in Bahrain and other places. We have an office in Doha as well, by the way. Um, so, and we are setting up another one in Riyadh. So it's definitely become a sort of, I mean, I gave this example earlier where, you know, people in the US have a general perception of uh, how uh, people are in the Middle East or in general in Asia. And, uh, but when you talk about Dubai, their, you know, their views completely change, like their, their perspective shifts, they want to come to Dubai. So, you know, the the safety aspect of Dubai that it offers, the the sort of uh, freedom to like do whatever you want and achieve whatever you want has really set itself as a benchmark for a lot of countries that are nearby and and abroad as well. Like this country, you know, evolved in the last 40 years into a powerhouse. house. Uh, there is no country like this, so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not you know an example. Honestly, like I would love to read more books about Dubai and, and figure out like how it happened as a more yeah. of an economical mindset.
0: Mm.
1: But it's a uh, you know it, it's it's difficult to replicate. Uh, and, you know, and and come like when you consider that it didn't really have oil well to start with, um, it's difficult to replicate. Uh, there are countries that are trying. Um, but just, I mean, think of the entrepreneurship part, right? Um, you know, the, um, I think there's about a hundred thousand, uh, golden visas that are being offered to entrepreneurs to kind of, you know, set up businesses here. Um, how, which country can actually do that? Like, you know, there, there has, I think because of the ruler, um, you know, he has, I I feel like he has an entrepreneurial mindset himself, Mm, like, you know, um, having like, the Silicon Oasis or, you know, having the production city and all these others, like imagine the ingenuity behind it where you're actually like making cities within a city and, you know, defi- and I was thinking about it, like, you know, um, you go to Design City uh, in Dubai and it has a certain vibe to it. Mm. You go to Production City, it has a certain vibe to it. Every company, it's almost like they're given a brand, snap, you know, toolkit of how the offices need to look like, how the roads need to look like. So that requires very, very, very long-term thinking, where mm. you're thinking 50 years ahead into what needs to happen. And, you know, you have sustainable city, which I've heard so much about. So mm. it's 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 difficult to do unless you have that mindset, uh, you know, right from the top. And in a way it's actually good, you know, the way Dubai is structured where, you know, the idea is flowing from one end and and, you know, there are also other brains that are kind of contributing towards it. Because otherwise, um, you know, you can't force that change. It has to be something that, uh, you know, comes through a lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, you know, good mindset and, and just focus. Interesting. So uh, last question, We've, you know, Tech Revel. the last sort of
0: five years will probably be different to the next five. And, you know, talking about the region, trying to understand what you mentioned about the sort of uh, incubator approach versus servicing uh, corporate clients and bigger companies. If you, if you went to Riyadh tomorrow and you had 10 meetings, would you prefer those 10 meetings to be with giga projects, semi-stake companies or 10 startups?
1: Oh, that's a very, very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just uh. interesting to,
0: to know, you know, you know what I'm getting at? Like, wh- right. wh- wh- where, where's the focus? Like, are are you, you know, are you growing this company by helping the existing money, whether it's, a public investment fund or whatever, uh, create their projects? Are you going and meeting, uh, the startups that don't have any funding that might just have the next big idea?
1: So I think, um, in general, the way I make my decisions at this stage because I own the company is based on interest. So, you know, I'm as much interested as uh, meeting a startup founder and discussing their next big idea and their inspiration, their passion and sort of uh, feeding from that almost like a social vampire Um, and and letting that be my fuel to kind of drive me towards my goals um, and and also helping them achieve theirs in, in the same time. Um, as I am interested in, you know, sitting with CTOs and, and CIOs and, and CEOs and, and figure out what the main problem is, which is causing them a lot of distress. So, you know, <clears throat> when you say startup and you say a big company, um, yes, they're, they're two opposite sides of the coin. Um, but in many ways, uh, they're very similar. and And in many ways, they should be more similar. Because what we've seen with examples like Apple, and I know it's like really old news. No, pretty much everybody who's listening would know that. But you know, with companies like Apple and Google and IBM, they all started from a garage, and everybody knows these stories. But what what we fail to understand is that, um, and and you know, if you read Steve, uh, Steve Jobs' biography, you'll kind of see that as well. That they have divisions within their company that operate in silos as startups. And then they incubate those divisions. And then once, then they iterate those divisions. And then eventually when it comes to it, they scale them and then embed them into the organization itself. I think more enterprise organizations need to understand that mindset for them to get out of that whole, you know, we know what we're, what we're good at. And we're just going to keep doing that because Mm. we've seen what happened to Polaroid. We've seen what happened to so many organizations that became extinct. Because they weren't able to change with time, and mm-hmm. the way things are, you know, changing Contact. drastically now, where you have twenty-year-olds that are millionaires just for investing in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. um, you have to change with the time. So, you know, I would, I, I, what I, what I meant to say was that I'm, I'm interested equally between meeting with startups as I am with enterprise companies. Uh, but I would like for enterprise companies to start also calling themselves startups.
0: Brilliant! All right, pleasure listening to you this morning, Abir. I'm going to follow uh, Tech Revel online and see how you expand in the region.
1: Perfect. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. That was a great chat with Abir. Uh, really good to get to know his thoughts and views on the landscape and how he's be building Tech Revel. Um, definitely kind of in- interesting seeing how founders make decisions and um, how they continue to grow businesses. Uh, so yeah, the service industry, digital, um, hopefully people in that area uh, got a lot of value out of that conversation. I'd like to thank again Shahir for pulling together all the things that behind the scenes to put the show together and Ali for producing it uh, live uh, this morning. And uh, you can, if you're listening, Uh, on the podcast, you can please subscribe and follow on Angami, Spotify, Podio, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch on smashy.tv, download the apps. Uh, We're rolling out more and more Smart TV apps as we go. Check your Smart TV, check for Smashy. If it's not there now, let us know and we'll try and get it on uh in the next month or so i mentioned at the start that we have a really good guest next week uh he really is he's a singaporean based founder of one championship which is the ufc of asia and it's a brilliant story and i'm you know looking forward to listening back to that one myself because he's really kind of built something special over there and they'll be in the region as well soon uh so yeah i hope you're enjoying your summer i you're enjoying this podcast uh, keep in touch. Uh, keep, let us know if you'd like any guests on as usual. And we'll, and we'll have one next week and we'll be, you know, as usual, 11am on Friday mornings. the uh, Works will be your, you can count on it weekly uh, as your podcast. Have a good week.